All right, so if you take your Bibles, let's turn. We're in, in 1 Peter, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 16. And so the title of the message this morning is Fortitude, the Pursuit of Holiness. And uh, it reads like this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You can see right there, if you start measuring against God, where it says, uh, be holy in all your conduct. And you should be holy because God's holy. You feel that gap right there instantly? Whoa, I do. Okay, like, ah! and the more I study it, the bigger it gets. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So let's, let's peel this apart a little bit. So when we're talking about this in the section of Peter, the therefore, so I learned an old axiom. Theologians say this all the time. Whenever there's a therefore, you want to know what the therefore is there for. So let's just do a, a brief review of last week and look at what Peter was laying out for him because he was trying to encourage the exiles. Okay? He called them exalted exiles. And uh, these were people who had gone through suffering. They had been displaced. They lost their homes. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their finances. And they were uh, shipping around the rest of the part of the country, which we would know as kind of central and northern Turkey, modern-day Turkey today. And they were... Uh, just trying to find a, a purchase place, a place to land. And so Peter knew they'd gone a lot, and he was trying to encourage them. And what he tried to encourage them with was, the, therefore, it was because of, so he said, remember, be encouraged because of his great mercy. Uh, many of us would have stories of God's great mercy towards us and how he's been kind to us. And Peter was reminding them, remember God's mercy towards you in spite of all that you've been through. The second thing was, the fact that we are born again. The fact that we have a living uh, a relationship with God we didn't have before. We have a new life that we didn't have before. And then he says, also be encouraged because of the great hope that he's given us. This hope is that my sins are forgiven. Right? You know, and that's a pretty amazing thing too if you just think about it because um, God lets go of our sins way quicker than we do. Some of us are dragging around our old sins for 35 years ago, still bringing them back to God. and goes, you know, I forgave that. Uh, yeah, I know, but I'm still feeling guilty about it, right? We're good on guilt. And, uh, but the forgiveness of our sins, the fact that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we talked about that. And then the third thing is that we have this hope of eternal life. That this isn't it. Uh, all, the, all the marketing... Uh, that you pick up on the radio or the TV or the internet, is this is the, your one and only life. This is all you get. So if you don't get what you want in this life, you better fight for it, you better go for it, because you and the new, it's not new, but the emphasized word these days is what you deserve. Right? Have you heard that? You should get what you deserve. I'm thinking, I hope not. Okay? But you should get what you deserve. So the idea there is you've got to grab, fight, leave a trail of bodies. It really doesn't matter because this is the only life you've got. As believers, we don't have to do that because we have the promise of eternal life. Okay? It is the incredible hope that this isn't the only thing. And if everything didn't go the way we exactly thought, or there were a lot of hurts and there were a lot of wounds or there was a lot of losses, there's a life coming that that won't be that way. Peter says, remember that. Because remember, he's talking to people who've lost a lot. Then he says also, because of 
Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He said, remember, this isn't just an idea. And we said, we actively proclaim that that is a historical event, that Jesus Christ was a real person, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus rose again from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father right now, and he will come back a second time just like he came the first time. He will visit this planet again. And Peter's saying, you came to believe that because we preached it to you. He says, hang on to that. All right? Hang on to it. How uh, do you hang on? He said, the way you hang on is by remembering the incredible inheritance that we have in Jesus. We talked about the inheritance last week. We don't have time to go into it. But the idea that, that you don't give that away for nothing. That is the most valuable treasure you have is our inheritance in Christ. And you hang on to the rope. You don't ever let go of the rope. And how do we not let go of the rope? Peter says, by faith. Your faith, he says, and by the way, your faith is guarded by God. He, he treasures your faith and he guards it with you. And he wants it to per- persevere and to endure that it's a living faith. And then Peter says, don't, not just these things, but remember the fact you love him too. He says, you know, you didn't see Jesus like I saw Jesus. This is Peter speaking. But even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you rejoice with an inexpressible joy. You whoop it up, right? This is not whoop it up. Okay? We'll get better at it, all right? But he says, you whoop it up because you, are, you have this, you know him and you know what he's doing. And you're caught up in it. And he says it's really exciting. So in spite of what you're going through, stay focused on him. Stay focused on the kingdom. And then he adds this one. He says, he talks about the great mystery of godliness. There's two great mysteries in the Bible. One is the mystery of wickedness or iniquity. Have you been baffled by sin as you watch it on either TV or the internet? Or have you just watched and going, seriously? Wow, you're kidding me. And it's just kind of shocking how evil seems to have its way. And I don't know if we just know of it quicker now because of the internet, right? Because it's, it's pop, 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 right? Something happens in the world, you're aware of it right away where it used to take months to get to us. And, and that may be the overwhelming factor. It may be that, um, you know, we're packaging a different, who knows, but reality is evil, really. It just looks like it's winning, But then the Bible says there's a second mystery, a great mystery. It's the mystery of godliness. God's kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus talked about his kingdom. And Jesus talked about his kingdom would penetrate every aspect of life. And he talked about his kingdom would come. And when he would come back, that kingdom would reign eternally. And so there's a mystery of godliness too. And how profound is it? Peter says it's so profound, the angels themselves long to peek into what God's doing. The angels themselves have been around a long time, are going, did you know he was going to do that? Not me either. What's he going to do? I don't know. We better watch. Right? They're like, where did he get that from? And there's a mystery to God's will that's working out that says all the universe is going to applaud when God finally rolls the whole thing out. Whoa. So Peter says, okay, got all that? Now, therefore... So these are all encouragements. These are all, let me remind you. Yes, I know you're going through tough things. This is really good stuff. Keep your eyes on this. And because of that, therefore, he puts together some action steps. 
If you look at your uh, verses there, and these action steps now are no longer suggestions. If you know Peter, he, he wasn't very good at suggestions, right? So he's now giving some uh, directions, some commandments, saying, all right, as a result of that now, take these steps. And here's the steps he said to take. First of all, he says, prepare your minds for action. In other words, be ready, be alert. When you see kingdom opportunities that God brings your way, be ready and nimble to jump at them. Um, that's one reason why the Bible talks about not being in debt, because debt does not allow you to be nimble. All right? It does not allow you to react quickly. You're caught and you can't step quickly. The picture uh, is in the Middle East is they wore those long uh, robes or togas, right? And so the idea there is that the guy would pull it all up, stuff it in his belt so that he wouldn't be encumbered and trip over the tunic and he could run quickly in one direction or the other. He was ready for action. He was prepared. Now, as Peter's uh, talking about this, these people knew what it was like to quickly have to adjust. And likewise, I think we as well often are faced with things that we go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was coming. Right? And Peter's saying, be prepared for action as God brings things your way. Be looking. Second one that he says, as a there, because of the therefore, is because of all that stuff, be sober-minded. The idea here is you're watching carefully. Uh, it, the term originally originated, uh, the term originally originated, boy, that's profound. Um, third service, here we go. Woo, okay. The, the term originated from the idea of drinking excess, excessively with wine. Because drunks don't pay attention to a lot of stuff, right? They don't pay attention to what they're falling into or falling out of. They don't pay attention to curbs. They don't pay attention to speed limits. They don't pay attention to telephone poles. They don't pay attention to their families. They don't pay attention to their finances. They pay attention to their drunk. And they don't even do that really well. And the Bible's saying stay away from that kind of lifestyle. Don't do that. Be sober-minded, all right? And so when he's talking here, he says, the idea here is live soberly. And the idea behind that is it carries the aspect of using sound judgment in all areas of life. Uh, you grow up into sound judgment. I, I am much better now than I was 30 years ago. I have a better grasp of sound judgment than I did when I was 20. All right? Not in all things. Right? I can still botch it. I can be goofing off and all of a sudden go, oh, I should have been paying attention. You ever, right? you ever do that? This is that idea. Pay attention. Uh, get your act together is another way to say it. Be sober-minded. Then the third one that he's talking about here is to set your hope fully. Now, when this was written, go back to the context. They were under persecution. Peter and Paul, Peter was leading the church. Paul was planting all the churches. But the message of the church is that he is coming back. You look at Thessalonians, all these different books, 1 Peter, they all thought he was coming back within their lifetime. And so the idea there was, this isn't going to be a long haul. This is going to be a short run, and it's coming within your lifetime. So focus up, because you're going to have to get ready quick. All right? and, and that's one of the things that a lot of people mock about the church. They say, see, they didn't get it right. See, they misread it. See, really... They missed the whole thing. Jesus is never coming back. But they failed to notice that with God, a thousand days is as a year, and a year is a thousand days, and he doesn't measure time the way we do. And we say, hey, Jesus is coming back. 
And people go, yeah, yeah, baloney. People have been saying that for 2,000 years, right? And everything's exactly the same as it's been since the church started. So you're just crying wolf, right? But the reality is those who know the Lord, those who know Scripture watching can tell history is rolling out and there are things that God has put in place and God will not be mocked, right? And so when he's saying this, he's saying, all right, We've been at this now 2,000 years, and it can get weary. You can go, yeah, okay, whenever, are you really so... And, and Peter's saying, hey, set your hope fully. Set your hope on this historical fact. Uh, the theologians would call it eschatological, right? This eschatological fact. You like that word? I do know those words. Aren't you impressed? Set your hope on the fact that Jesus is coming back. That just as he came once and went into heaven, so he will return. Okay? Only this time it won't be Jesus meek and mild. The king is coming back. And he is returning. And so set your hope. If life doesn't give you what you want, then aim at the kingdom. Because there's a future there that's going to roll out that's going to blow your mind. You won't have to settle in heaven. All right, It'll play out. And so Peter said, set your hope fully on his return. The idea is that things down here fail us. Anybody had life fail them? Right? We don't even have to raise hands on that, do we? Okay. Yeah, life fails. God won't fail us is what Peter's saying. He won't fail you. And he hasn't forgotten you. Believe with all your heart that he will come back for you. In other words... We said last week, keep your eye on the prize. Keep aiming at eternity. Don't let the stuff on this level throw you too far one way or the other. It's all temporary. The stuff that happens there is eternal. So stay focused on the eternal. And then he says, be obedient children. Okay? Jesus said what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? You'll, you'll obey. You'll obey the things that I said to you. And one of the reasons that we kind of say we don't have to obey is because we watch what's going around us and go, that seems to disqualify the need to obey. Uh, remember when you were a kid? Now, some of us in here are teenagers, so we still may use this. Uh, but remember when you were a kid and you were trying to convince your parents that you should be allowed to do such and such? It didn't really matter what such and such or so and so was, but you desperately wanted to do such and such. And so you came to them and you laid out this very eloquent game plan that you were sure they were going to be convinced. So though you looked at the doubt in your father's eye and knew you weren't winning, you still, and your final caveat was, and besides, mom and dad, everyone's doing it. Right? Everyone's doing it. Now, if you had a good dad, did that fly very far? And he would cock that eye and go, what do I care if everyone's doing it? Oh, man, God, you gave me the wrong dad. You really love me, you give me a different dad, let me do what I want. And there's kind of that feeling in our culture right now that, you know, it no longer pays to be good. It no longer pays to be godly. It no longer pays to be holy. That's an archaic thing because nobody does that anymore. Nobody really... um, goes after it that way. And besides, everybody else has walked away. Everybody else is doing whatever they want to do. And, and they're, they seem to be having fun. And lightning bolts aren't hitting them. 
And they're not dying. And, you know, it doesn't look like this really is real. I should go after them. Why? Because everybody's doing it. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Stay obedient. Stay true. Yeah, it looks like they're getting away with something. By the way, if you wrestle with that line of thinking, I just encourage you to go to Psalm 73, not right now, uh, but Psalm 73, if that line of thinking has, that, that current has some pull on you, uh, read Psalm 73. The psalmist wrestled with the exact same thing and then he came because what he realized is not everybody's doing it and that's exactly what our parents would tell us, right? And the real question is, do we follow everybody else or do we follow Jesus? Who is it we're actually following? And see, this is right where holiness comes in because holiness is about being in him and being holy like he's holy. So it's a question of who I follow. Revelation uh, 22 gives us a hint on this. It talks about uh, verse 11. So Revelation 22 is the last chapter in the Bible. In verse 11 it says, Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now notice in that verse it doesn't say how many of them there are. Because from God's perspective, he really doesn't care how many of them are. If you want to be filthy and sin and run off in, in the rebellion stuff, just keep doing that. You want to be righteous, you want to be holy, keep doing that. Right? Johnny Cash saying about that when the man comes around. Right? Because then it happens when the second return comes, all of that comes up. It won't matter at that point. You, can't, you don't have enough time to change directions. So the Bible saying be very careful about the direction or the course that you set your life on because it could spell life for you or it could spell death. And one of the ways you measure that then is by the next two things uh, that come up on the list Peter lays out. We're going to look at the last two. The fifth one is do not be conformed. And then the sixth one is do not, or the sixth one is be holy. Let's look at do not be conformed and this issue of conforming because one of the questions is who are we shaped like? The idea here of conforming is that we can be, uh, we can be molded or shaped into. And the question is not can we be molded or shaped, but the question is into what or who we are like. And uh, Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, there was a time we really didn't know what God wanted. There was a time when we were ignorant of Jesus' call in our life. There was a time when we really didn't know uh, the Holy Spirit speaking in our life. And Peter said you were shaped by certain passions during that time, and you know what that produced. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. It says don't be shaped by that anymore. Now be shaped in a, a completely different way. Be shaped that you become like God. Be shaped uh, in His image. Become like Him. So don't be conformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 uh, covers it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, this is Paul writing now, brothers, by the mercies of God, in other words, since God has been merciful to us, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here that concept of holiness comes in again. Right? holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that the testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. NIV would say pleasing will of God. In other words, the idea here is I have to change my thinking. My thinking has my thinker has to think differently than it used to think back there. Because there it thought like the world. Now it has to think like the kingdom. This mystery of godliness. And in that, there's this issue of holiness. Right? And this issue of becoming holy. Notice again in this where it says, as a living sacrifice, and that living sacrifice says holy and acceptable. Right? We're only made holy and acceptable in and through what Jesus has done for us. But the Bible doesn't leave it there. The Bible says, all right, once you're there, now this issue that you've been made holy, now you need to stay in holiness. You need to become holy. The idea there is we become like him. So let's look quickly at this issue of holiness. And we'll come back and we'll take it farther next week because there's, there's a, a lot more that can be talked about. So Peter goes on and says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is talking about conduct, and it's talking about holiness of conduct. And it's talking about we should be holy in our conduct. Why? Because God is holy in his conduct. Bible says we shouldn't lie. Why shouldn't we lie? Because God doesn't lie. Right? Bible says we should be holy. Why? Because God is holy. So it becomes a question of what does that look like? Uh, you know, if you think about holiness... It was a, a theme, a big theme in the church uh, a while back, but you don't hear much of holiness today. You hear a lot about salvation. You hear a lot about grace. You hear a lot about end times, but not a lot about holiness. And I want to suggest that some of that is because holiness in our culture has gotten watered down and even mimicked or mocked at this point of its foolishness. And so holiness doesn't have the same... There's no drive to push down my old nature. There, my old nature should be free to express itself. And the Bible is talking against that. And so in my reading, so this idea exploded on me again. When I said this idea became bigger, I'm out at Lake Retreat. I'm out at GVJ Lodge. Okay, some of you know where that is. And it overlooks the lake. And so I'm overlooking the lake. And this whole idea explodes on me on holiness. And I'm like... Uh, and I started looking up all the references to holy or holiness. I said, this is going to take me five years. Right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a lot here. And then I realized, well, I'm weighing over my head because not only is it hard to preach, but it's hard to live. And I'm thinking, you know, if you measure my life on a lot of things. I mean, I'm a godly guy and I'm a pastor of a church and I do all this stuff. But when you start measuring it on holiness, right? So I'm like, and oh, now I don't even know what to say. Now what do I do with this thing? And so I, I kind of boiled it all down and we'll probably come back. But I was going, what kicked it all off is I'm reading through the Bible again, right? First of the year kicked over. Here we go. I'm in Exodus. Just finished it. And all through Exodus, there's this stuff that's put in place. So the tabernacle's built and the priesthood is put together and the offerings are put together. And all through that, the issue of holiness is involved in that. So the tabernacle is holy. There's the outer tabernacle, which is called the holies. And then there's the holy of holies, the inner sanctum that only 
the high priest can go into. And the priests have garments that only they can wear. And those are made for glory and honor and holiness. All right? And I started to realize this is a much bigger deal to God than it is to me. And I started to realize God was and has been always looking for a kingdom of priests, a holy people that were set apart for him. And so as I I went through these references and I I wrestled with it, the question was, what was God trying to distinguish? And what he was trying to distinguish, if you've been reading there, you'll know this. If, If not, you can go look. But he's trying to distinguish between the holy and the profane. Okay? The holy and the profane. In other words, this is holy to me, this is a profane or an abomination to me. He's trying to distinguish between those two. He was trying to use Israel as an object lesson for how that would work. And when you look, the, the question of holiness is, um, the question is not how important it is to us. The question on holiness is how important it is to him. We have to go from that reference point, not our reference point. Because if we took a scale from 1 to 40 and said, how important is holiness on your scale from 1 to 40, right, we'd be all over the board with that. Right? But on God, it's at the top of the list. And, and you get some clues. Scripture gives us some clues or some pictures that this is how significant the idea is from God's perspective. Let me give you two, two stories. So in Exodus is the story of uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? And they, they're not allowed to go on the mountain and Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments from God. And while he's up on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights said he was gone. So a month and a half he's up there. The people instantly break from God. They go back to the passions that formerly uh, shaped them and they, they forget about the kingdom. And it says that they uh, built some golden calves and then they started to play. And by the playing there meant they were getting drunk and they broke into sexual immorality, which was a really bad thing to do because all the other nations around were kind of watching what they were doing. And they knew if the camp was drunk and they were sexually exhausted, they'd wake up with hangovers the next morning. It would be very easy to come and raid the camp and they could conquer the whole camp. That's why Moses said it's such a dangerous situation. And so Moses comes down here singing in the camp and Of course, he breaks the the Ten Commandments and um, they start all over again. And this time, God invites the elders and uh, the priests up on the mountain with him. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithmar. And those four boys, uh, his posse, went up with him and they were the anointed priests And they went up and they ate with the Lord. So they actually had this incredible encounter of eating a meal with God on the mountain and then went back down. If you go into Numbers and read those stories later, what you find out is that God specified what types of incense and offerings could be given to him. And that nothing else but those should be given. Well, one time, uh, Nadab and Abihu are offering what the Bible calls a strange fire. Different incense than what the Lord prescribed. And fire came out of the tabernacle and killed those two brothers instantly. Right? And we go, whoa, that's pretty severe. But from God's perspective, the violation of holiness was pretty severe. Right? We always see it from our side, not from God's side. 
There's another story where the ark was in Israel and uh, hadn't been brought to Jerusalem, and so David concocted a plan to bring it to Jerusalem. And so the army and the priests and the nation are bringing the ark, and they're shouting and jumping and leaping, and they had the ark on a cart. Well, if you read in uh, Exodus, when they put it together, there were poles on the ark, and long poles were put through, and God explicitly said, those poles are never to leave, and the ark is to always be carried in this manner. Well, somebody pulled the poles out, and so what they did was they put the ark on a cart. As the cart's going along, the, cat, the path got rough, the cattle stumbled, the oxen that were carrying it, and the cart tipped. So Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark, which from our side would go, hey, that's a pretty decent gesture, right? Keep the ark from splatting on the, on the, on the trail there. And, but as soon as Uzzah touched the ark, it says that God killed him on the spot because he had violated that which was holy. Now we think, wow, that, and matter of fact, it, it blew David out. David went, oh, who am I to even come close to the ark? So he just put it right on the side of the trail, right by the house of this guy named Obed-Edom, and he went back to Jerusalem and said, man, I can't mess with that. I, there's no way I can deal with that. And, but then word got back to David over a period of months that, God was blessing Obed-Edom. God was blessing his family. And David again got the word to bring the ark into Jerusalem. Only this time you notice a significant difference in the story. What? They treated the ark as holy. How did they treat the ark as holy? They put the poles back in. And this time the priests were carrying it. There was no cart or oxen. All right? Funny how when something happens, you look closer at the directions. Guys, you ever do that on your home repairs? Oh, Instructions, what a wonderful thing, right? They hadn't looked at the instructions. And so God was letting them know, my holiness is really important. It can't be violated. And so we don't have much of that perspective. And so I started to think as I was sitting there overlooking the lake, not what does holiness look like from my side, but I I started to ponder what does holiness look like from, from God's side? How does he see it? And uh, the the question is, how big an issue? And, and I sat in that cabin looking, and I found some scriptures that told me it's a much bigger issue than you think, Steve. And I went, oh, which that's usually fair warning that God's out for something in my heart, right? Uh, but how big an issue is it? Well, Hebrews 12, my Bible study guys, we just went through this we just went through the book of Hebrews and we just went... So I knew all these verses from Hebrews really quickly and this one snapped to my mind as soon as I asked the question, how big is an issue? How big of an issue is it? And Hebrews twelve fourteen says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And here's the caveat. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now think about that. We often think in terms of salvation and we know salvation is eternal so I can get away with anything I want to because I'm saved. But salvation should mean that I'm also holy. So the question is if my seeing the face of the Lord depends on my holiness, how well am I doing? And I went gulp. Now, God's holiness is found within his salvation as well, so I'm stretching that rubber band a little bit. But I want to stretch it for us to wrestle with and to think about. Because I started to realize, all right, holiness, 
means a whole lot of things. And I think we'll go into this next week because usually when we say holiness, we think of a whole bunch of rules. That's not what God's thinking. And we, we need to be able to see that differently. Um, but to seek holiness, uh, that can only come from Him. And if that's true, that means that I have to seek Him. And I asked myself the question, overlooking the lake, which was very pleasant. I said, I asked myself the question, how dearly do I want to be holy? Now, understand, I, I get this. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for over 30, well, almost 40 years now. Uh, I've known the Lord. I've seen the Lord do things. I'm a godly guy. I care greatly, right? I pray. I do all that stuff. Uh, but sometimes one of the biggest idols in my world is ministry itself. Right? Where you can fall in love with what you do instead of the one you do it for. And so I started to ask myself, okay, so how is my pursuit of holiness at this point? And there's three areas that I, I quickly didn't even have God need God to speak into because I knew I struggled with them. One is my, my mouth. Second is my thoughts. And third is my conduct. I went, there's things that I say that I know don't reflect holiness in any way, shape, or form. There's things that I think that I know are still in the trash bin and in the sewer. And there's things that I do that are not in line with the heart of God. And I went, oh, well, great. Here I am speaking on spiritual warfare and then I get plugged with holiness, right? So I thought it would be great to include all of us in on the discussion as well. So I thought about, okay, so if I was going to pray a prayer, what would be the prayer that I pray? And I, you know, we pray a lot of prayers. Lord, would you do this? Lord, could you do that? Lord, could you help with this? Lord, could I get this? Lord, could I get that? I thought of a different prayer. And the prayer is this. Father God, make me holy in your son. That's a different prayer. That's a completely different prayer. That takes out all the, you know what? You don't understand. If you only knew my circumstances, you would know why I can't obey you. This is saying, Lord, in the midst of my circumstances, teach me how to obey you. Because in obeying you, I become holy. Right? I went, Father God, make me holy in your Son. Set my heart on becoming like Him, regardless of what the world or people around me are doing. I find that hard because I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. And if people like me, then I, I get really excited. If they are, don't like what I'm doing, I, I get bummed out really quickly. And I, I realize some of what I do oftentimes is secretly motivated by the applause of men. Because I, I want to do what the Lord wants to do, but I also want people to be clapping at the same time. What happens when I have to do what God wants me to do and people won't clap? And I went, ugh. And, and I could look through my life and, and I saw times when I did it right and I saw times when I did it wrong, but I thought, wow, this, this is a bigger issue and this is an issue that uh, much of the American church has let it go out the window, right? It used to be holiness was a badge of honor and something we strive for. Now it's something to be ridiculed. And I think if we do pursue it, we will be ridiculed because we'll look different. We'll look weird. And so, <clears throat> as we think about this wrestle, that's kind of on the theoretical level. On the practical level, I thought, how could we tie this in 
So that there was a way, because obviously I cheated. I've been thinking about this. I've been reading through First Peter. This, some of this was perking, uh, you know, back before the first of the year as I was doing that. And you haven't had time to catch up. So in some ways, the, it's dirty pool, right? The pastor cheats because he's ahead of the topic. Then you feel the truck backing up as it's coming to you, right? Beep, beep, beep. And he dumps on you. And you're like, what do I do with that? I'm buried. Uh, and the goal wasn't to bury you this morning, but the goal was to get you thinking on this topic. And the question would be, all right, what would be a practical takeaway? So my thought was this morning, changing the prince saying, Father, what would it be like if I cooperated with you in one area to lean into holiness? What would that look like? What would be one thing I could do this week that I could do that tells me I'm focusing on your holiness. Right? And I would imagine it might be very different things for all of us in here. Very, it, it won't have the same tone, same conversation level. But I will bet you this also, all of us will have a conversation. Because God's intensely interested in this topic of holiness because it's who he is. And so the question this week would be, Lord, what ways could I cooperate with you? What practical way? Think Think your words, think your thoughts, think your deeds. If God pulls something else out of the hat, that's because he's having a private conversation with you. But you can grab those three. What would it look like if I cooperated with you this week and took one of those and tried to lean towards holiness? What would that look like? I think you'll start to discover it, it's really important to him. All right? Let's pray about that this morning. Father, as we wrap this up and as we come, again, we realize you're holy. We're not. You call us profane. And that just means we're tainted, we're polluted, we're um, dirty. You're not dirty. You're clean. You're pure. And we don't even have the slightest apprehension of that, really. We, We have a lot of head knowledge of it. But in reality, everything around us is tainted and stained and, and dirty. And so we kind of measure it by what we know or what we see. This week, could we have a conversation with you and would it be possible that you would highlight one thing if we said to you, God, what would be one thing I could do this week that would be a step towards holiness towards you? Would you highlight something and have a conversation with us? We pray it'd be a really interesting, great week with you. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.